Good morning, Hope Church. (laughs) Welcome. If this is your first time, uh, we're so glad you could be here. Welcome to Hope Church. My name is David. Uh, My brother Ruben over here is going to be teaching in our Spanish service in the next service. We have a co-pastor here at Hope Church. We also have two languages, Um, and God has done something special, I think, to represent what is our community in one body, um, one family sharing the one hope of Jesus Christ. I'm thrilled with what God is doing. This morning, we are continuing and actually finishing a journey through a book, through the book of Philippians. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote uh, from uh, Rome while he was in prison there to the church in Philippi. Um, and our theme as we've gone through this has been, I will rejoice. And we've seen that, that topic, that theme come up over and over again in what Paul has been teaching, uh, this Finding reason to rejoice, expecting to find reason to rejoice in the Lord and what he's doing. And I I hope that as we come through this, that you have found new reason in your own life to rejoice. And it's not that the circumstances have gotten any easier, but that we've been able to see, hopefully, more clearly that God is at work, that there is hope even now, and for sure, a hope in eternity, and we can find reason in everything to rejoice in the Lord. Well, where does that lead us ultimately as we get to see better what God is doing and we find reason to rejoice in him is a desire to please him, a desire to bless him back. He has blessed us with so many blessings to love God in return and to bless him. That's going to be our final topic as we finish out the book of, of, sorry, of Philippians. Um, and where we left off last week, I'm gonna go back just a little bit. Uh, we're in chapter four. Uh, we took it all the way to verse 13 last week, but really this section as he's talking about the gift that they sent with Epaphroditus to him there in Rome. Um, That begins back in verse 10. So I'm gonna read, starting in verse 10, we're gonna go through the end of the chapter. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. See, he's just everywhere. I rejoiced in the Lord. I found reason to rejoice in the Lord. Well, here, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter that you inspired Paul to write to the church in Philippi. And God, it's amazing to me to to consider that a people 2,000 years, some some 2,000 years removed from us in a completely different culture and context than we are in now served the same Lord that we serve now, faced the same challenges of the heart, the same challenges uh, in, in a world that's, that's sinful and against you, God, that we face now. And, and they were our brothers and sisters back then. And there's a unity even that we have with them across 2,000 years that we find in the consistency of your truth and how it applies to them and how it applies to us now, God. And it's just amazing to me to see that. So God, I pray that you would open our hearts to that truth that was relevant to them and is relevant to us now, 2,000 years later. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So right in the middle of this, in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's using Old Testament language there. Um, way back, Old Testament was, was back here in the Bible, 700 years and further back. Um, and, and it had to do mostly around God's covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, and in that covenant, there were laws about sacrifice and, and giving a sacrifice of uh, grain offerings and animal offerings. And, and if you see the description of that, it, it was to be uh, a fragrant offering, pleasing to God. Well, a couple of things here. This is much different context with Philippi than it was in the Old Testament, but he's using similar language. How was it a sacrifice, them giving this gift sent with Epaphroditus? How is it that it's a fragrant offering pleasing to God? Because I want to be pleasing to God. I have learned to rejoice in so many circumstances and see God at work. I want my life to be a fragrant offering and pleasing to God. What are they doing? How can my life match that? Well, in context here, we, we learn if we, if we go back into, actually a passage we'll look at later in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, we, we find out that these Philippians not only are they just excited about giving, and there's many opportunities that they've found in there, and they're known for their giving, they're giving out of extreme poverty. It's a sac- it truly is a sacrifice that they're giving and supplying needs everywhere. When they were supplying needs as he headed out of Philippi, down into Thessalonica, they were the ones giving and supplying his needs there. And, and we'll see in 2 Corinthians, there's a whole other situation where they're eagerly, eagerly finding a way that they can participate in giving. So they are sacrificially giving out of extreme poverty. 
So how is, how, what is it about their giving that's pleasing to God? What is it that Paul draws attention to in their giving? If you look at the very beginning of this section in verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So for whatever reason, they were prevented from actually supporting Paul. It could be just because of his whole journey of being imprisoned in Caesarea and then the, the, the ship journey over to Rome. And, and now for the first time, perhaps, since he's under house arrest in Rome, it's a different uh, situation that now they're able to give, send him support and send him encouragement with Epaphroditus. Maybe that's what it was, but, but in some condition, they weren't able to do that, but he points out their concern for him, their desire to help them. That's, that's one thing that, that he draws out of this. What else does, does he draw out? If I look down in verse 14, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He points out their kindness. What's interesting here is nowhere in this whole book does he actually thank them directly for the gift itself. The gift really is inconsequential to those things that he's pointing out. What is he pointing out? Their heart behind it. Their desire to help him. Their kindness and, and love towards him. And that's our first, our first point as we're looking at how can we be a pleasing aroma to God, a, a pleasing honor? How can we bless Jesus Christ is to show kindness and love. It has to do with the heart. What is my heart? It's not the specific element of sacrifice. It's not that thing in my life that I'm giving up. Okay, God is seeing how much this costs me. So this thing is that which is gonna please him. No, he's looking at the heart behind it. Turn with me to uh, Hosea, if you can find it. It's close to the middle. Chapter six and verse six. God says, this is Old Testament now, back in the time of the sacrificial system. He says, I, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God hasn't changed. God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, God of eternity past, the God of eternity future, what does he want? What is pleasing to him? It's coming from the heart. That we would know him and know his heart knowledge of God, and, and that our desires would match his desires, the way that we feel in kindness and mercy and love would match his kindness and mercy and love. Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew. Um, it's in a context where Jesus is hanging out with, with tax collectors, and the Pharisees come up to Jesus' disciples, and they say, why is your teacher hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hears of it. He said, learn what this means. And he quotes a verse that they, should, they probably did know. And he actually quotes it from the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation back there that, back then that, that translated steadfast love as mercy. 
I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus said, I'm here to save sinners. You need to understand the heart of God. You're so caught up in, in what is right. They were experts in what is right according to the law, but they were missing the heart behind the law. So for us, the first thing for us is we're going to position ourselves to please God is to know his heart and to see if our heart matches his. Do we know the heart of God? Do I know the heart of God in the situations around me? Something that in my own walk as a Christian that I've kind of developed in, just in my mindset is, how do, I, how do I respond when in every city that we live in, I come up to a stoplight, there's somebody asking for money, asking for something. How do I, how do I respond to that? And it's, it's something that's changed in my heart over time, and I've had to wrestle with. I had uh, a good friend of mine who came to the Lord when I uh, worked in California um, as a new Christian, uh, he was zealous for Christ, and he even challenged me in that in his response. Every time we'd go to lunch, he would purposefully, after lunch, he would drive through Jack in the Box, get, get a sandwich, and purposefully go to make a U-turn at a particular light so that he could give a guy a sandwich as he turned around. Like, well, that's a great idea. But he, it cost him something to do that in his time and, and effort in order to, to accomplish that. But I know in my own Reasoning, I think, well, I, I don't want to support a bad habit. I, I, what they're going to do with this money, I, I don't know what they're going to do, but I suspect that they might use it to support a bad habit. They might use it in a way that's not good, and so you know, I don't want to support that, and you reason through it, and, and are they really even deserving of something? You know, I've heard stories about guys that are just getting rich, and so I reason through all that. But then I read... Jesus' sermon, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 40. And what does he say? He doesn't qualify it. He just says, give to the one who begs from you. That's it. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What's, what's the context of that? The context of that is when, when before that he said, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's fairness. That's justice. That's people getting what they deserve and making sure they don't get anything else than what they deserve. This is fairness. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But he says, that's the way it was. Here's what I want you to do. Don't resist the one who's evil. Oh, my goodness. He's saying, be, be taken advantage of. If someone slaps you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. If someone sues you for your tunic, at that time that was the undergarment, also give them your cloak. If someone forces you, this is not fairness. This is not justice. If someone forces you to walk a mile, walk two miles with them. This is the context in which Jesus says, if someone's begging you for something, give it to them. No qualification. So now, 
as me growing up as a Christian, wrestling with that verse, what am I learning? First off, I'm learning the heart of God. And as I'm struggling going, God, they're gonna misuse my gift. They're going to misappropriate that gift in their life into something that, that's not good. They don't deserve this. Well, then what if I look at my own life and the grace of God that he's poured into it? How often do I misuse that? How often do I use this abundant grace to cover my sin as an excuse to continue in sin? Do I recognize the heart of God towards me and that he wants that same grace towards me, unqualified grace, not based off of what, what I'm gonna do with it, but pure grace of one who's undeserving of it. He wants me to go show that same grace, his heart towards those around me. Ultimately, where I landed on the whole question, if you wanna know, <laughs> is I pray God, if I sense God wants me to give something, I'll give something. It's just a simple matter of obedience. If I'm not feeling it right then, then no. I'm gonna trust him as wisdom and direction in my life to say, no, it, and, and it doesn't need to be qualified. Maybe that person, it's part of a work that God's doing in their life and there's gonna be a cycle of them misusing that and ultimately it's gonna be potentially the testimony. That's what my prayer and hope is, that the testimony of Christians stopping and saying, God bless you, using that brief opportunity to speak grace into their life along with whatever I'm handing them is gonna make a difference in their life. But I gotta trust God with that and have his heart in everything that I do. So the first way that I can bless God is to share his heart in every matter, kindness and love. What else do we find here that's a part of pleasing and blessing the Lord? And this one's interesting, but we see it here. It's to seek heavenly rewards. It's interesting. How is this a part of blessing God? To seek heavenly rewards. If you look in verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. If you have an ESV Translation with footnotes, you'll see another possible translation of that is, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. What account? What credit? What's he talking about here? It's heavenly reward. Paul is excited about and rejoicing in the heavenly reward that they will receive, the heavenly credit that they will receive because of their actions following the heart of God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter six. Starting in verse four, I believe. No, starting in verse two. Jesus says, thus when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, making a big deal about it, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Look and see how great I am because of how I'm giving to the poor. 
Truly I say to you that you have received, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give it in secret. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. I think sometimes we can, we can misunderstand a little bit of God's purpose and think, no, I, I should, when I give, it should be completely without any, any thought to, to reward or any thought to uh, recognition that it needs to be completely selfless in that sense. But that's not what God wants. He, he does want us to seek recognition. He does want us to seek a reward, but he doesn't want us to seek that anywhere here in this world. He wants our complete focus of recognition and reward, our motivation there to come from uh, recognition from our Father and reward in the hope that we have in heaven. He wants our full hope to be set with him in heaven. So part of this and every action of grace that we make is seeking a heavenly reward. And so then in verse 18, this is interesting. After he says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit uh, that increases to your credit, he says, I have received full payment. That's actually uh, the Greek, the two Greek words used there for that are, are Greek words at the time that were used for receipts to say, yes, this has been paid in full. It's, it's like a transaction. He's giving them a receipt, but it's a receipt for a heavenly account. Here, I'm giving it to you. I've received payment, uh, full payment. Uh, but then he says, and more. I am well supplied. There's an awkwardness. If, if you know Paul, this whole situation has to have a little bit of an awkwardness for him. And I think we see it a little bit in how he keeps coming back to just reiterating he doesn't have a personal need because everything that he needs is in God. Paul makes a strong case in other books about just how big a deal it is to him that he not take from what is rightly his, that, that even though so, as someone who is uh, carrying the gospel is, in deserving, is deserving of being paid, that he wants to pay his own way, and, and he doesn't want that to ever be a hindrance to the gospel, and he makes a big deal about that, that he doesn't have a need, and he wants it to be known he doesn't have a need, and he doesn't want to receive support. And so there's an awkwardness here because they have, out of their poverty, sent him support. But he's turning the, the focus onto what is important here, and it's their heart, it's their reward in heaven, it's those things that he's gonna rejoice in. But you can kind of see here still, as he's saying, I have received this, uh, and it's plenty. I don't need any more. Please don't send me anything more. Now, he, he has no problem in encouraging, as we'll see later, uh, the church is supporting each other and supporting those that are, that are serving in the gospel. But, but for himself, uh, there's an awkwardness there, and I, I identify a little bit with that. It can be difficult to receive help or support or gifts from somebody, um, especially having been so long in my life very self-sufficient, more the one on the other side of the table that's helping someone else. But this is good for us to understand what is really happening here. Good for both the giver and the receiver 
to see that this is, this is, this is pleasing to God. That this transaction, whatever it is, one person helping another, whether you're the one receiving or giving, that this is something that is part of God's grace and the glory of God's purpose, that we have a heart towards each other in that. And, and then to realize and rejoice in the fact that that person who is on the giving end is gonna receive reward and, and is already at this time recognized by the Father and is pleasing the Father in what they're doing Whether I'm the giver or the receiver, this is important for me to see as God sees it and to rejoice in what God's doing and the glory of what God's doing. And, and as, as we look at that, um, we get into the next part where this, this gift is, is inconsequential, like we said, to, to what's going on in God's grace and but then it gets really amazing, which is our last part. That this gift that's being given is out of the supply that God has given in his grace. That as we are giving towards each other, that's out of God's supply. So if we're gonna please the Lord, and this is almost ironic, we're gonna please the Lord by giving out of what he has supplied us, what he has blessed us with. The glory of God and his love for us is incredible. It's not even something I can be credited for even. But he's giving me credit for it. I'm getting reward in heaven. I'm, getting, I'm pleasing the Father in this act. But, but what I'm giving is, is just out of what he has given me already. So we're to give from God's supply. Let's look uh, again, in verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, a.k.a. please don't send any more. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Still in context is physical needs, money. The, the, these Philippians giving out of their extreme poverty with a heart that matches God, sacrificially giving, he's saying God is gonna continue to supply your needs. They are giving out of God's supply. And God is pleased every time that they give. It's coming out of God's supply. <clears throat> Turn with me, if you will, um, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at that context. <clears throat> and as we turn there, Jesus, Jesus told us we shouldn't worry about our supply. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, because your father knows you need these things and he's gonna give them to you. Where should our focus be? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are gonna be added to you. We worry about our supply. We're hindered in our giving because we're worried about our supply. 
Well, what if I see my supply as the grace of God in my life? I'm giving out of that and knowing that he will continue to supply my needs. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, what's happening here um, is they're putting together this collection from the various churches to support uh, the, the saints in Jerusalem. There's a need there. And, uh, and part of the 2 Corinthians letter here is uh, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to be a part of that, but then he speaks of these Macedonians, uh, which would include Philippi and Thessalonica and, and that area, and just the incredible giving that they have had um, as an example. He says, we want you to know, starting in verse one of chapter eight, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. There is an incredible verse. A severe test of affliction, persecution, an abundance of joy in the midst of it. Extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Things you don't normally see go together. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They wanna be a part of this. They hear, all oh, the churches are gonna be sending something to those in Jerusalem. We wanna be a part of that. This church in pers- that's being persecuted and is in extreme poverty. Um, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Submitting themselves first to the Lord and then following his direction, his heart, knowing his heart, and giving to those um, in need. And if we continue, if you skip over to chapter nine, <clears throat> chapter nine um, he, he's basically then encouraging the Corinthians that you should be a part of this, and, um, and we're coming to collect. Um, and in fact, some of those Macedonians are coming with me, and it's gonna be really embarrassing. If you're not ready... Uh, when we come. So he's kind of gently encouraging them to, to be ready. Um, and, but then he says in chapter nine, verse six, he says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What's he talking about? Sowing, that's, that's planting seed. How's he viewing the grace of God at the supply in our life? The supply in my life is seed to be sown, to be invested in people, to be invested in the kingdom of God. That, that's what he's saying, is this grace that you have in your life is seed to be sown. And the one, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Not gonna have much effect in your life if you take everything that God has given you and you, don't, and you just hold on to it. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I think of taking my kids out to, uh, to plant in a garden when they're little, little. They're more interested in all the different kinds of seeds, and that's, that's their treasure, and they got all these seeds, and, oh, I've got my collection. Now I need to put them in the ground. I don't wanna put it in the ground. I wanna hold on to my seeds. Well, that's us. What we have is what God's grace has been apportioned to us in order to invest. So then in verse seven, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
Again, the heart of God in us. As we're growing, it, it's, it's gotta be from the heart. It does, if I sacrificially give and it's just out of obligation and it's, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, and my heart is not there, that's not gonna be pleasing to God. As God is growing my heart to match his heart, to know his heart, then give as you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is in the context of God's grace being his supply, provision, and things, and money. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see the glory of what God is saying here? Saying you are not this vessel just to be filled up. But you're a conduit of God's grace. I am pouring grace into your life so that you can pour it into those around you. If I'm gonna look at my life as a cup, then it's a cup that's overflowing with the grace of God into those around me. And God's saying, as you then give, I am gonna continue to supply in every need so that you can continue to be someone who is investing grace into those around you. And in doing that, I'm pleasing God. I'm sharing the heart of God. You see the glory of God's purpose and his design in this, to be a conduit of grace. Here's the truth, church. I used to be one who rejected God. I used to be one dead in my sin, an enemy of God. We all started there. But then what happened? Through God's love in Jesus Christ that he sent to save me, undeserving grace, I now have a new heart. Through faith in Christ, a heart that desires God. Even though I still misappropriate his grace in my life, even though I still use his grace as license to just go ahead and, and continue to sin, knowing that he will continue to forgive and forgive, his grace in my life is beginning to create a new heart that desires God and desires the things that he wants. I'm growing in kindness and love. This provision of grace in my life, I don't deserve. And yet every need that I have is met by my Father. I'm a participant of grace that's not even my own. I'm a conduit. This isn't... This isn't my supply that I'm able to invest in someone else. It's the grace of God invested in my life that I am able to invest and to be a part of. And as I'm doing that, I'm pleasing God. It's like, I, what, what am I even bringing to the table? He's the one supplying the grace so that I can give it and then supplying the grace so that I can give it. And, and it's pleasing him I don't deserve to be one who's able to please God, and yet in his grace, he has brought me in as a child to be one who is acting in his grace, and in every action of grace, I'm pleasing God. I'm a blessing to Jesus Christ, blessing to the one who has blessed me. 
And then if that's not enough, he's rewarding me for it. I don't deserve any of this to begin with. And now, in every act of grace that I take in my life to, to give the things that he's given to me to pour into others, he's rewarding for me for that. He's recognizing me in those, in those acts of grace. What should be our response to that? It's to rejoice in the Lord. We don't deserve any of this, and yet we get to be a part of an incredible process, an incredible act of grace in this short time that we're here on this earth. He doesn't want us in this to have our eyes on becoming rich. It's not his purpose to make us rich. It's not his purpose to make us poor. It's his purpose to put us exactly where we're at. That might be one who has a lot of money. That might be one who has a lot of hunger because they don't have a lot of money. But what did Paul say? It doesn't matter what circumstance I'm in. My purpose here is a conduit of grace into those that God has put around me because of where he's placed me. It's not about being rich and poor in this lifespan. This lifespan is short compared to eternity. And in eternity, I'm gonna get to enjoy the rewards of this time that's spent here serving Christ, this time being a conduit of his grace. I don't deserve any of that. The only fitting response then is to submit my life, everything I am, everything I have into his hands to fully be a part of what he wants to do in my life. As we worship now, let's, let's let our life be an offering to Christ. There's no better place to place our life. Let's worship together. God, as I think about what this means practically in my own life, that it's difficult to trust that you are supplying every need sometimes. And I don't know how many times it's gonna take for me to realize as you put me in places of needing to trust you and you come through, God, to just let it set in my heart to know confidently that you are supplying every need. My focus doesn't need to be worried so much about that, but to be worried about the things you've put in front of me, to walk in obedience to you, God, and God, in an effort of grace that you want to work through me to those around me. So God, I, I see my need in all of this is faith, to trust you. I pray, God, that you would give us faith as a church to trust your supply as we invest in our community. God, to trust your provision as we step out into things that you might lead us into that are bigger than we are. We can expect that, God, because it's an effort of your grace. It's not an effort of our strength. So God, I pray for faith. It is the one thing that we need most is to trust you. It is so good to be a part of your work, Lord Jesus. We don't deserve it, but we get to be a part of it. And so, God, we want to find reason in everything to rejoice in you. We want to find ways that, God, we can please you and bless you. Set our hearts to be like your heart, Lord. 
It's in your holy name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.